you have your Bibles tonight, let's open those up to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Well, this is the third week of a three-part series that we started, obviously, two weeks ago, called When God's People Fail. And our theme verse over all of this is Romans 15, verse 4, which says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through, the, through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And what we've done so far is we've looked at the life of Saul and we've looked at the life of David and we compared it to your horrible high school yearbook picture where you were captured in the most unflattering moment of your life. Well, that's what we've done for Saul and then we did for David and we're going to do that again for Solomon tonight as we go to the Word. But the idea is not to go, oh, that's a really bad picture. But the idea is for us to see hope and encouragement that God gives us from studying their lives and how he worked in their lives and the mistakes that they made with the idea that maybe we don't have to do the same thing. But first, before we get to 1 Kings 11, I'd like to tell you a little story. Happened a number of years ago. A group of friends of mine and I, I wasn't there for this one, so I, I missed this. But this was a classic. And I know the guy that did it, and I can totally believe it. But it was um, something to the effect of a guy's retreat. And everybody knew in this circle of friends, we loved each other, but you had to have a thick skin. Because it was a brutal group of guys. Well, what was going to happen was everybody was supposed to bring meat for the grill. That's a very guy thing. It's, it's, and it's good. So this group of guys, they bring their steaks, they're throwing on ribs, all the stuff that they're grilling. And then one guy, I guess he was new. Maybe, maybe he didn't know. But he brought hamburger patties. Everybody else has steak and ribs. He throws on a hamburger patty. I don't, maybe he was doing Dave Ramsey or something. But, but it, was, it was just kind of pathetic. And there was already just the, the looks. The group of guys, everybody's looking at the grill. And he walks up there and he throws the, the hamburger patty onto the grill. And they're all just looking at each other. like that, That's not a steak. That's not ribs. That's a hamburger patty. Why? What is he doing? But then... He obviously didn't know what he was doing. He was new to this. As soon as he threw the patty on the grill, out comes the cheese. This thing's still bleeding on the grill, and he throws the cheese on top of it. And all the guys are standing around going, um, nobody said anything. They're, ju they're just, did he really just do that? And they're looking at each other, and they're amazed by this. And then finally, one voice the voice of wisdom spoke up, bad idea, dude. And they all just, it just burst into laughter and he just realized, oh, yeah, I guess you're really, you're supposed to cook the thing first, but those, those words were immortalized forever. This, a lot of things, bad idea, dude, that, that became the catchphrase. Well, I can't help but think of that. As we come to this passage in 1 Kings chapter 11, and I want to give a warning to the men in the room tonight. There's parts of this that you probably are just better off if you withhold the comment. You might think it's clever, you might think it's a great idea, but you probably just shouldn't say it. You can think it, you can laugh to yourself. 
We'll start a men's ministry soon. We'll say it then, but don't, don't say it. Just don't say it out loud. Here we go. 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women. I mean, it wasn't kidding. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Bad idea, dude. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Please understand that as we see that, 700 wives, 300 concubines, that's not the cause. That, that's the symptom. That is a deeper problem showing up in a weakness for women that Solomon displayed in his life. And the result of that was these women led Solomon's heart astray from following the Lord, from being fully dedicated to the Lord. But as we see this tonight, this is the end of the story. This is, this is us walking around in the, in the rubble, in the wreckage, to try to figure out, this is, this is horrible, this is devastating. What happened, and how did we get here? Because we understand the, the very nature of sin and the reality of somebody walking away from God. Even if it's a temporary season of their life, for somebody to walk away from God, it's not something that just happens suddenly. Solomon didn't wake up one morning and decide, I think I'm just going to walk away from the Lord. And neither do we. It's not one decision that causes us to walk away from God. It's a whole lot of small ones. Back in chapter 3, verse 3, it tells us specifically that Solomon loved the Lord. That, that he really loved God, but slowly, gradually, and yes, deliberately, by the time we get to chapter 11, he's walked away. And it's a tragedy. It, it's devastating. He's walked away from that love. And it would be great if we could point to one thing. If we could look at his life and say, okay, this is what Solomon did Let's make sure that we don't do that. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. There, there is a pathway. And as we look at that, I want you to notice something here in verse 4. It specifically says about Solomon that when he was old, his wives turned his heart away. Not, not as a young guy, not as somebody who hadn't, didn't know better, hadn't had, didn't have any life experience. When he was old... 
And so how, how did we get here? How does this happen? We're going to look at four things tonight. Just because it's what preachers do, there's four W's that we're going to look at tonight, starting in 1 Kings chapter 1, to understand how did we get from a man who was incredibly gifted to a guy whose heart turned away from the Lord because there was something in him that caused him to believe that he needed to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Back in 1 Kings 1 and 2, we'll start this way. This is Solomon's way. Solomon's way, first W. Remember, Solomon was born to David and of all people, Bathsheba. That was never supposed to happen in the first place, but that just proves again that the things that we do in our failures and our, our issues and our disappointments, God's plan is still going to be fulfilled. It wasn't a threat to God at all. But this, the first child, you remember the first child that, that, Solomon, or that David and Bathsheba conceived, that child died. David and Bathsheba, having had an adulterous relationship, they did get married. Remember David eliminated Bathsheba's husband Uriah? Well, they did get married and they had another child. And that child was Solomon. But it's interesting, from, for this child, from the very beginning, they're, they're, God, is, God is doing something. Solomon is also called, the scripture tells us, Jedidiah, and it means beloved of the Lord. And that may not seem like a, such an important thing, but the Bible specifically says, and the Lord loved Solomon, Jedidiah. Well, okay, well, God, God loves everybody, right? I mean, it's, it's not a big deal to say God is love, except that this description is not given over any of David's other children. There, there's a, uh, something special about him from the very beginning that, that, that they understand this child is special. And it's, isn't it interesting that of all the kings of Judah, the, the line that's going to come from David, they come through Solomon. And this relationship that started it all was out of adultery. And not only are all the kings going to follow in the line of David and then through Solomon, Jesus is going to come from that line as well. Isn't it interesting? Our sin is never a threat to God's sovereignty. It's a bad idea and we should avoid it and there would be consequences. But ultimately, God's will, God's plan, God's purpose is going to stand and it's all going to be worked out. And it's amazing to think it's not just in the line of Jesus, it's not just David and Bathsheba having Solomon. Go back to Genesis 38 and the whole, study, the whole story of Judah and Tamar. My goodness. And yet God, it's not a problem for God. That's not a threat to God. That's going to be the line that Christ is, is going to be born into. But from the very beginning, it's clear Solomon's going to be the next king. And God had already, in fact, said to David, no, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. It's going to be your son. But here's what's different. And I really think there's something to this as we look at Solomon. Last week, we, we talked a lot about the hard road, the, the preparation that David had to endure on his way to, be the, to, to become the king. The long process of going from having the oil poured over his head to actually becoming king. The days of running from Saul. The days of Saul trying to kill him. The days of wondering, when is this ever going to happen? And yes, even Philip fleeing to the land of the Philistines. But for Solomon, there was none of that. Solomon grew up in the palace. Solomon didn't have battles to fight. 
obstacles to overcome, trials to endure. He didn't have to run from Saul. He didn't have to run from anybody. And as a matter of fact, two different occasions, one of David's other sons tries to step into the kingdom, tries to succeed David as the king. One of them just overthrew David. You know the story of Absalom? That was quickly shut down. Then another one named Adonijah tried to assume the throne after, when, when David was almost done living, and that was shut down as well. It was clear from the very beginning that Solomon was next. Solomon was the heir apparent from the very beginning, and, and that's how it was going to be. Solomon's destined to be king. Sure sounds like an easy way, but is it, is it a better way? Because maybe for some of you, you think over your life, and maybe you've done a little comparison shopping to the lives of other people around you. And you look at your life and you know, God sure didn't choose an easy way for me. And it looks like this guy over here, it's been cake for him. It's, it's been an easy journey. It's no problem. And maybe your journey's been difficult and others have just skated by like Solomon seems to have done. But maybe the character that you learned... And the lessons that you learned through that? Could it be that God allowed that in your life to keep you from doing what Solomon did in the end? Now, it doesn't mean that everybody we think has had an easy road has had an easy road, but sometimes it sure looks like that. But for those of us who have not walked an easy road, and I'm, I'm on that list, I, I have walked through things that I would not have chosen for anybody, and so have some of you. But I'm telling you now, that's been God's plan, and God has used that, and he hasn't wasted that. And I am still seeing, and you are still seeing, how God is going to use that and will continue to use that in the future to protect you, to develop you for your good and for his glory. If you haven't had the easy road to get to where you are now, if you're still on a difficult road, rejoice in that. Because it may very well be that God's trying to protect you from a bad outcome because he cares more about your character than your comfort. And he cares more about protecting you than, than you having to... to it, it's, it's, it's him protecting you. It's not him punishing you because you've had to walk through difficult times. That's Solomon's way. The easy way. Chapter 3. We know this. We associate this with Solomon. His wisdom. That's the second W. Chapter 3. God came to Solomon in the early days of his reign and he offered him anything he wanted. And Solomon asked for an understanding mind. He asked for wisdom, which if you think about it, his request was for wisdom was incredibly, let's say it together, wise. Right? I, that, that's... You almost don't need wisdom if you're wise enough to know that you need to ask for wisdom. It's our problem a lot of the time. We don't know what we don't know. We, we don't know what to ask for. We don't know what we need. Solomon even knew what he, what he needed to ask for. And God granted it. Ironically, Solomon says, verse 9, he wanted to have wisdom. He wanted to have an understanding mind. And he says it this way, that I may discern between good and evil. I want to have an understanding mind that I may discern between good and evil. And God was so pleased with the request. He granted the request and he gave him also the honor and the riches that he didn't ask for. 
Verse 12, it tells us, this, this is the degree of wisdom that God gave to Solomon. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I mean, right, right there, God tells us this is the wisest human being who has ever lived. There's not going to be anybody, there hasn't been anybody before you. There will be no one like that after you. This guy has wisdom. And it's displayed. We, we know the story. Two women, um, one of them lost a child. The other one has the, the living child. And they bring that before Solomon. And Well, this one's mine. No, you're, you know, they argue over that. Solomon says, we got a simple solution. We'll decide who the child belongs to. Just cut him in half. And of course, the real mother says, no, please don't do that. It's very easy to identify who it was. Solomon's wisdom on display. There are several other places we see that. But whenever you hear about Solomon's wisdom, especially in the context of what we've talked about in chapter 11, of how he ends up this way, it raises the question, how does the wisest person who ever lived end up doing the things that Solomon did? Wouldn't great wisdom tell you to not walk away from the Lord? Wouldn't great wisdom tell you that a thousand foreign women are probably a really bad idea? I mean, you might say a lot of things about having 700 wives and 300 concubines. There, there might be a lot of things that are true about you, but wisdom does not come to the top of that list. And it does lead us, Solomon, what, what were you thinking? Why would you do something like that? Well, it's not that hard to figure out if we, if we back up from that a little bit. And we still see some of this. We still see a lot of this today. The, there's two, two factors in that. The first one, I'm, I'm going to call it this. The fallacy of education. And we see this all the time. See, in our culture today, we don't have a problem with sin. We don't have a problem with depravity. The problem is we're just not educated enough. And so if we can teach people, give them the right information and the right facts and the right knowledge, then they won't do drugs or, or they won't get into this, they won't get into that. And education is not the issue. Sin, depravity in our hearts is the issue. And when you and I sin, it's almost never because we didn't know the right thing. We knew the right thing and we just didn't do it. We knew the truth, we, didn't, we just didn't apply it. It wasn't that we didn't know what to do. But that also comes into play here. Around here, we value the Scriptures. We put a high priority on the teaching of the Bible. But let's remind ourselves the Pharisees knew the Bible backwards and forwards too. Better than you do, better than I do. And they were enemies of Christ. But they knew their Bibles. It's not, a, it's not an issue of information. It's not an issue of even biblical information. But the question is, with all the teaching that we have here, what are you doing with what you're learning? You're just filling up notebooks? How's that applying in your life? How is that causing you to bear spiritual fruit? Because the issue is never, well, I decide, I didn't know that was a bad idea. I didn't know I... No, we, we know. But we're not using what we've learned. We're not applying 
that, and that's where it's just informational instead of incarnational, and it's not really affecting who we really are. And please hear this. I, I don't mean this to offend anyone, and, and, but please hear this in, in, in the spirit intended. You and I can make an idol out of anything, including good Bible teaching or even a good Bible teacher. John Calvin was right. Our hearts are little idol factories. And we're good at creating our own little idols. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not making a case of let's all be biblically ignorant. Let's not study the word anymore. No, no, no. Let's study the word, but then let's take that and let's apply what we're doing. Solomon, perfect example of all of this information, all of this knowledge. And it wasn't that he didn't know better. It wasn't that he didn't have the discernment to be able to make better choices. He just walked away from that. It's not about the knowledge. It's about the heart. And education and information doesn't change our hearts. And I don't know about you, but some of the meanest people I've ever met know Scripture pretty well. And let me make clear, that's not the Bible's fault. That's their fault. But they know the verses. They know the truths. Evidently, Solomon had a problem with that too. Solomon's way, Solomon's wisdom. Third, Solomon's work. 1 Kings 4, all the way through chapter 9, describes in great detail the building of the temple. This is the man chosen and gifted by God to build his temple. It's been a tent up until this point, and God chooses Solomon. This is the man that God has chosen to do that. It's a huge undertaking. It's a really big deal. David wanted to do it, remember? But God said, no, I've set this aside for your son. And David said, okay. David said, that's a great idea. This, and understand, and you know this, the temple is not some thrown-together cinder block Walmart building. This thing is intricate. This thing is detailed. And Solomon is the, perf Solomon's the perfect person to build it. And he did it well. 1 Kings chapter 9, though. When this whole thing is completed, and chapter and chapter after detail of this, God gives Solomon... Specifically, Solomon, this warning. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 6. Let's read this together. God says, But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast them out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and, lay hold, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Solomon's work was to build the temple for God. But as God says this, it's as if God knows 
where this is going. God knows the future, how this is going to play out. And sadly, it's really not going to take that long for us to get from this point to the destruction of the temple that we're reading about here. But imagine this. Even as Solomon is building the temple, even as Solomon is coordinating all of the details to build this thing for God, he's fading in his love for God. He's real busy doing God's stuff, but his heart is drifting further and further away. We get one clue to this. The Bible doesn't really tell us this was right, this was wrong, but we do get a clue that this starts to begin. It tells us that the temple was built in seven years. Hard, detailed work for seven years. But in the next verse, it tells us that Solomon spent 13 years building his palace. Maybe that's just informational, but there does seem to be something to that of his focus has already begun to shift, and there's a need in his heart that he's trying to fulfill, and he's not finding that satisfaction. But here's the thing. As all of this develops, these, these years that Solomon spends building and doing stuff for God, we can be working for God. We can be doing God's stuff, and our heart is drifting further and further away from him. We can be doing God's stuff and doing that without really loving God. Isaiah would say this and Jesus would repeat this. The problem with the people is that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Church at Ephesus, also Revelation 2 verse 4. You know this too, but this, Jesus says, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had it first. You're doing all the stuff. You're doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the work. Good. But as you're doing that, your heart's not in it. You're not doing it with the right motivation. You're not loving God through that. And in Solomon's work, we see more and more and more and more. He moves away from what it's supposed to be. He, he moves away from where his heart is supposed to be. The manifestation of that, the outward part of that is he's accumulating women. But it's a heart issue. He doesn't love God like he did back in chapter 3. Solomon's way, Solomon's wisdom, Solomon's work, and finally, Solomon's wealth. I like this one. Chapter 10, let's look briefly at verse 23 and 24. I wish we had more time to, to work through this, but, but just to sum it up this way, 23, thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. And we read in chapter 10 about Solomon's wealth and how rich he was and all of these people who came to hear his counsel and came to hear his wisdom and they would bring him gifts and they would honor him with possessions, making him more and more and more and more rich. This is the golden age of Israel. And so here it is. Well, that, there, there it is. You know what Solomon's problem was? Money. You know, that's, that's what the Bible says. After all, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. 
the love of money. Not, not money. Money's not the problem. That's not what it says. Solomon was wealthy on a colossal scale, but if you read through chapter 10, it reads something like this. It gives you a detail about Solomon, and then it's like the author, the writer is saying, oh, and check this out. Solomon had this. And then over here, check this out. Solomon had this. It's not putting a negative view on what Solomon possessed at all. It's, it's like reading a highlight reel of everything that Solomon had accumulated and everything with which God had blessed him. It's not putting a, a negative spin on that at all. It's actually seen as a good thing. And it wants us to see that and almost celebrate that with Solomon because the wealth was never the problem. And your wealth, it's not your problem. For some of you, you're going, well, let me tell you what. I can tell you for sure my wealth is not my problem because I don't have wealth to be a problem, therefore it's not a problem. Can't say that about me. But money's, money's not the issue. Money, money is neutral. The issue is that his heart is never satisfied. Solomon had all of the wealth, and so because of that, he could have whatever he wanted, all the pleasures that this world has to offer. And I'm probably not going with this where you think I might be going with this. The pleasures aren't a bad thing. They really aren't. That's not the issue. The issue is, do they possess our heart? There is, such a, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, of course, but the pleasures of this life are not wrong. They're not bad in and of themselves. 1 Timothy 4.4 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Yes, of course, there are some things that the Bible expressly forbids. But there are plenty of pleasures that God has blessed us with in this life that we get to enjoy for His glory. As long as it's received with thanksgiving and we recognize that it's a gift from God. I mentioned this earlier, but a great big old steak, cooked medium rare, that's a blessing from God. A nice, strong, hot cup of coffee or three in the morning, it's a gift from God. Go into a, a place that, that is beautiful and, and maybe a mountain or a beach or something and just looking out and it causes your heart to rejoice and say, glory to God in making a place like this. Sitting across a table, laughing your head off with a friend. Blessings in this life that God meant for us to enjoy. But those things, we get to enjoy them. We get to appreciate them. There are, there are blessings in this life that God did not have to give us. But we get to enjoy those things as long as... They're for us to enjoy and they don't own us. Yeah, there's things that the Bible says not to do. There's things that the Bible doesn't want us to be a part of. But there are so many things that God has blessed us with. And what it would look like to eat a steak for the glory of God is to enjoy it and to be thankful for it and to recognize that as a gift from God. That glorifies God and it's a blessing to us. The pleasures of this life are not bad, but this is, 
This is such an amazing thing to think about. Every single pleasure in this life that we can think of, they're all just previews. They're all just a foretaste of what's to come. Every single one of them. And there's nothing that we have here that isn't going to be replaced or enhanced by something better in heaven. We're never going to be in heaven looking back on earth and saying, you know, I, I really like the desserts here, but the entrees were better on earth. No, 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 it, it, nothing. They're just a taste. They're just a preview. And it helps us to glorify God in that. But what else it does is if there are certain pleasures that are denied to us in this life, don't worry about it. It's something that you can enjoy there. And in light of what we can enjoy there, we can forgo some things. We, we can not have some things here in the light of what we will enjoy there. It's all going to be better. It's all going to be replaced. Simple test. That pleasure, that pursuit, that possession, whatever it is, does it make you, God, does it make you love God more or less? If you can eat that steak and drink that coffee for the glory of God, then eat that steak and drink that coffee for the glory of God. The pleasures are not the issue. The pleasures are not the problem. The issue is your heart. And being able to recognize and identify the things that are leading our hearts away from God. One of the amazing things about Solomon as we look back, was there anybody in Solomon's life to say to him, what, what are you doing? Was there anybody in Solomon's life to say to him, bad idea, dude? Apparently not. One thing you can say for Saul is when he messed up, Samuel's there to get in his face. When David messed up later, Nathan is there to get in his face. There's nobody like that there for Solomon. And it's not just one thing, it's a progression of things. But this is how we end up there. It's all of those things combined his heart was led astray. But understand this. What Solomon does, he does at the pinnacle. Everything's great. Mission accomplished. They've built the temple. They're rich. Everything's wonderful. There's peace in the land. But his heart's still not satisfied. And the manifestation of that is one foreign woman after another after another. At what point do you realize, Solomon, this isn't working. This isn't dealing with the heart issue until it's gone, until it's too late. Solomon's way, Solomon's wisdom, his work, and his wealth didn't keep his heart from being turned away. And the symptom of that is the women. So how do these things, we, we look at all of that, how is that encouraging? How does that give us hope? Romans 15, verse 4, we, we go back to that. How is their hope? How is their encouragement? How does that help us cause to, to, to be able to endure? From Solomon, we learn a couple of things. The first one is this. All the things in this life that you think you want might only lead you to the place where you don't want to be. Surely there is a point where Solomon looks back and has regrets. And it never had to be that way. And in God's mercy, 
and in God's heart of protection towards you, maybe there are things that he has withheld from you because he knows that it would be better for you to not have those things so that you did not end up like this. But the second part is better. You can have everything that this world has to offer or you can have nothing this, this world has to offer, and eventually we're going to reach the same conclusion, the truth that only Jesus satisfies and can fill up an empty heart. Solomon, if he were around today, would be the guy that so many people would envy. I want to be him. I want to be like him. I want to have what he has and be just as empty on the inside as he evidently was. John 7, verse 37, Jesus made another offer. He said to the crowd, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You, you've got this inner thirst. Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The water that I give you, you will never thirst again because in me you will actually be satisfied. And then another place, Jesus told a quick parable. And it always makes me think of Solomon. Matthew 13, verse 44, says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found... And covered it up, and then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. When you and I understand that Jesus is the treasure, that if we find the kingdom of God, there's no other pleasures of this world that can compare with that, then we found the treasure that the man found and he's willing to sell it all, to abandon it all, to have that treasure. And as we conclude tonight, is Jesus your treasure? Or are there other things getting in the way? Let's pray together.